If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We are so glad that you decided to join us today. Oh, my goodness. This is the second episode in the wildly popular parable series uh, that we are in the middle of right now. See, the kids love it. Um, it's going to be a blast. Can't wait to jump into this parable stuff. Uh, but yeah, my name is Keith Giles. I am one of the co-hosts of this illustrious podcast. I am the author of several books in the Jesus Un series, including the most recently released Jesus Unforsaken, Substituting Divine Wrath with Unrelenting Love. And I'm joined by my... Oh my God, I'm, who cares? <laughs> and I'm joined... Well, gosh, man, so much love. I'm joined by my co- my wonderfully supportive co-hosts, uh, Katie, Matt, and Derek. Say hi, everybody. Hi, Keith. That's no, Hello. no. Oh, my God. That's not the bit yet. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Katie Valentine. And I am the author of Sex Slaves and Self-Control and just happy to be here. I think this is going to be a fun topic. Like Keith said, the wildly popular Changing the Face of Parable Interpretation series that we're in. And I'm Derek Day, the author of Deconstructing Religion and the author of the Love Minus Religion blog and also the host of the Forward podcast. And I'm just absolutely excited about this parable thing because that's about what I like let remaining of the Bible. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only part left for you, isn't it? It's we're, we're, we're getting down to the bare minimum here. The bare bones. That's right. Song of Solomon and the parables. That's it. <laughs> Mainly Song of Solomon, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm Matt DeStefano, excited for uh, another episode. And is it okay if I if I make an announcement? You already did that, man. You've got that lots of announcements. That was oh last time. God. Well, I was kidding, about, I was kidding about the other one. No, I'm are, are you are, are you coming out about something else? Wait, is this is this more Netflix shows that you don't like, like The Messiah? <laughs> well, I know I'm not going to say any more about shows because I got too much shit from that. No, I have an <laughs> announcement and it involves all of y'all. And it is this. Choir has a new book that we are all involved in. Woo-hoo! Do you want to know? Do you want to know the title? Should I tell the lovely listeners the title? It is called Hell yeah! Better. Before You Lose Your Mind, Deconstructing Bad Theology in the Church. And it is, get this, 99 cents on Kindle, probably worth every penny. And only nine ninety nine. am I correct about that, in paperback? Yeah, boy. Yeah. It, it better yeah. be now, otherwise you're going to be really disappointed. <laughs> but it is, it is, Keith, tell all of the listeners who has contributed to it, besides Katie, yourself, Derek, and me. That's right. Well, that's the part of the biggest thing, right? So Derek Day, uh, Dr. Katie Valentine. And so now, officially, that makes you guys choir authors. So welcome. Yes. Welcome to the throne. That's right. Um, welcome to the shit and- show, everyone. <laughs> but uh, on top of that, so yes, you're going to get Derek, uh, chapters by 
uh, contributions by Derek Day and uh, our own Katie Valentine. But you're also going to get, and, and Matthew DeStefano and myself, uh, also other choir authors, including Brandon Andrus, Michelle Collins, Brandon Dragan, uh, Mark Gregory Karras, Matthew Corman, Josh Rogie, and Skeeter Wilson. But we also have brand new choir, author, uh, choir authors for the first time in a choir publication, Jason Elam, my good friend and hero. Love Jason Elam. And um, someone I only met as a result of editing and putting together this project, um, her name is Maria Francesca French, and she is awesome, and her chapter is amazing. So, um, yeah, this is a great book specifically about helping people through the deconstruction, reconstruction process. We want to let people know they're not alone, and there's some so much great stuff in this. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys want to talk a little bit, Derek or Matt or Katie, about your chapters uh, in this book. Yeah. Um, well, my chapter is simply about the pattern of hermeneutics of Jesus and Paul. You know, you hear the phrase, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater or don't throw baby Jesus out with the bathwater. We can have the tendency to do that when, when we deconstruct the Bible and what the Bible is to us. And then we kind of are left with, well, what about Jesus? Because Jesus still seems kind of cool. I don't know about Paul. Paul, I, I think Paul's cool. Derek, you and I still got a debate about this. Yeah, I know, whatever. But I do think that Jesus had an approach to scripture that we can appreciate, and it's not the flat Bible that evangelicals will tell you. So that's what I'll leave people with. Did I mention that I love the fuck out of Jesus? Did I mention that? You, yeah. Is that the title of your essay? Well, yes, yes. Well, I hope so. All right. I, I just want to make sure. But I, I contributed what uh, a, a chapter called Jobian Theology, because there are a great many, quote unquote, Christians, Christians, who are actually Jobians by virtue of their theology. Because whenever you talk about something bad happening to someone and, and you try to say, well, bad things aren't supposed to happen to children of God, then somebody will say, well, what about Job? <laughs> we, uh, for those of you not on video, uh, we all just got flipped off by Derek. <laughs> no, I wasn't, I wasn't flipping you guys off. I'm, oh, right. I'm, I'm actually flipping off Job. Fuck Job. Okay. All right. So I'm good. I'm better now. I am. Um, I write all about sex and gender and like getting rid of all that toxic stuff, purity culture, and a little bit, a little bit of personal memoir in mine, actually, that I usually do not put into my writing. So, um, I'm, so family don't pick it up. Uh, everyone else <laughs> do. Everyone else. Um, yeah. <laughs> And then kind of how to, how to come out the other side, I think, like giving giving ourselves options, I think is so important when we're talking about something as deeply rooted in our very bodies as sexuality, as gender. And um, yeah, so what are, what are the options for moving forward and um, celebrating ourselves as beloved, as beloved creations? Yeah. And, you know, I, I was very blessed to kind of like sort of edit this thing. And all I really did was accept the, the amazing submissions and put them in some sort of cohesive order. But um, in doing so, I was able to read through uh, each of the chapters by these amazing contributors. And I got to tell you, this thing is amazing. I'm so excited. I, I, I cannot wait for people to get a hold of this book. I'm, I'm so glad that Choir as a publisher was committed to the project to the point of saying, you know, let's just make this thing basically at cost, 99 cents uh, on Kindle, 9.99 in print. Um, this is something we, we hope that people would read as many people as possible who need a book like this would, would be able to get a hold of it. But also, if you know someone that needs a book like this, we want to make it as affordable as possible for you to give it as a gift because there's phenomenal contributors here, great 
Great stuff, great content. And we're super excited about this new book. Yes, we are. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stick a link in the show notes or something to get everyone headed over there. Derek, do you have, a, do you have an announcement for us today? Yeah, yes. Buy this book. Buy it. <laughs> Buy this book. And it seems as though we have something on the hotline. Oh, hey. And if you want to reach the Heretic Happy Hour crew, you could do so by exercising finger dexterity. Get that index index finger working and dial 240-343-7379. I said it's slow, so I don't have to repeat it. So roll that beautiful text footage. And it reads, hey guys, I just wanted to share a sign from the Baptist church up the street from me and get your thoughts. Oh boy. My first reaction was anger and several swear words. You got to go back and listen to my podcast, Cussing, Cursing, and Swearing. They're not the same thing. But anyway, I digress. Uh, I wanted to send them an email just to let them know how horrible I think they are. Then I felt profound sadness. I know most people driving by would not even know the verse they're referring to and what it implies, but it is incredibly hurtful and harmful in my opinion. I still want to write them but more about the God of love that will remain undiscovered to them if they persist in this type of condemning and judgmental thinking. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he actually included an image. So you're just going to have to imagine the image. But he wants to know, what are your thoughts? And it says, love, Eric. What's, you got to read the image. Read, read the message. Don't! <laughs> The sign says, <laughs> amateur hour, goddammit, four terrifying words in the Bible. God gave them over. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. That's, uh, so that's Romans 1, right? Yep. Reprobate mind. Well, we know we should just only read like the first, like what, seven or eight verses in Romans 1 and stop. Just stop right there. Yeah. We don't want to keep reading because then we might find out what he's really talking about. Yeah, who 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 wants to offer some thoughts first? Go for it. Go go, go, go. for it. I'll say I'll simply say this. No, I got I got nothing. I got nothing. I mean, <laughs> this isn't the, the way I, the way I look at Paul and the way I look at Romans is like. I mean, I think ironically, you're quoting who who Paul is is refuting in right. a rhetor- in a rhetorical way. It'd be like, it'd be like it'd be like taking something Stephen Colbert said and being mm-hmm. like. Oh well, Stephen Colbert said this, and and it's gospel or it's true, and it's like he's a caricature. He's playing a tongue-in-cheek rhetorical character in his show, The Colbert Report. Mm-hmm. You know that whole show where he pretends he's a he's a Republican conservative and he's being ironic and he's and it's satirical. Paul's yeah. doing I the, the way I view Paul, and I don't get this from anyone but Pauline scholars whom I agree with that Paul is being rhetorical, and so to simply take a passage out there. God gave them over, of course, the gays, right? So mm-hmm. God gave them over to, repro- well, okay. So that's, that's the view of someone Paul's arguing against big fucking deal. Yeah. I, when I see things like that, I mean, if I was in my car, I would have probably the same reaction, but I, uh, I sort of like, you know, when it comes to Romans, it's like, I, I just want to grab Baptist, especially because I am, I'm a former Baptist. So uh, a former Baptist raised by Baptists. So I know what this is all about. These are your people, Keith. You can these get are, Unfortunately, these are, these are my tribe. Um, I, I would, I really want to say to them, if any of them are listening, go and learn what this means. Prosopopoeia. 
Because if you understand prosopopoeia, you would understand this is what Matt is talking about, that the whole, well, at least half of the book of Romans is Paul using an argumentation device where he speaks in a voice of someone he is having a, a conversation, sort of a debate with. And if you understand that, so much of Romans would kind of take on a brand new light. But of course, the problem is the challenges for, for Southern Baptists and, and a lot of evangelicals, who, especially when they come to Romans, is they really have gotten to the point where they kind of like their misunderstanding of Romans. And they, they're not really interested in anybody showing them that, oh, by the way, that's really not Paul right there. Like, keep, keep reading. And Paul, the real Paul, is going to argue against this idea. They don't like that, right? They kind of want it to be one big flat thing. And, um, but anyway, I, I think if you could understand this sort of prosopopoeia argumentation method, a lot of Romans will at least look very, very different to you and would make a whole lot more sense. I like the, um, the range of emotions that you, uh, express that you felt, right? And that's actually very healthy um, to, to, our, to articulate all of those and uh, feel, feel all of those. You know, I, you know, as far as Romans, you know, Romans itself, I, I study Paul's view of desire and of passion. And for Paul, there was one acceptable outlet to sexual desire, um, so I don't, I don't particularly agree with Paul's assessment, but it's, uh, it, you know, it's his assessment. He certainly wasn't alone in the ancient world. He's in a stream of men who like really emphasize self-control and uh, a particular outlet to, uh, to sexual desire. So, you know, like, so what? So, so what? Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a misread, it's a misreading and it's a fear tactic putting this kind of stuff on, uh, church billboards. My, I, one of my greatest delights though, is that there's a seventh day Adventist school about 45 minutes from my house and they put very pithy things on their billboards. And I, um, especially in non-pandemic times love to drive by and see what kind of like charming things they're putting on there. Once in a while, they'll go in the sort of hellfire direction, but not usually, and then I get really disappointed when it's like happy graduation or something like that. So, you know, follow the Seventh-day Adventist school and put charming, charming puzzles on there about no, Jesus love. Follow, follow, follow the UCC in Clackamas, in, in Clackamas, Oregon. Yeah, yeah I, was, that's, I was just about to say that. Do they May, quote Matthew DiStefano? And if they don't, they're fucked up. Uh, Eric, I want to say this to you. that The fact that you say you felt profound sadness means that there is hope for you, my friend, because the fact that you saw this and it brought you low in your countenance says something about your humanity, because I'm going to tell you something. This is a case study in the abject failure of Christianity. And that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. Yeah, with the idea that, hey, I know what we should put on our sign to the rest of the community, some like something really condemning and fearful. And yeah, that'll be great. Would that make people want to come visit our church if we put something that kind of scares them yeah. and, you know, insults them or something like that? Like, wow, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. That's Baptist for you, brother. Yeah. yeah that I, I affirm word. your decision not to email this church. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, I don't know that that will good, be good, uh, good call, Katie. <laughs> no, 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 no calling, no emailing. Yeah. Although, if you want to write the letter and not send it, that might be cathartic. Yes. Options. Good you have point. options. Good yeah. point. You feel better. You feel better. Yes. <laughs> well, let's, um, yeah, let's continue on. We have a, a really fun heretic of the week. So let's get to that and meet our new heretic. It's the heretic of the week. 
Hey, I'm Lamont Magnese, and I'm pretty sure I am a heretic. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah. Doc, you're one of my favorite people in the world. I'm so uh, glad to have you here and uh, to uh, to help introduce you to some uh, more of my friends. So uh, we're just going to have one great big circle jerk here. (laughs) Oh, yikes. (laughs) I feel very excluded, very excluded. (laughs) You're lucky. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so anyway, let's, uh, let's go right to it. So, Doc, why do some people call you a heretic? People, some people, lots of people, uh, call me uh, a heretic, and I am going to do my best to continue to make them call me that because I do not parrot the narrative that my comrades uh, parrot. I I don't believe what the majority seems to believe. I don't um, pretend that uh, I believe the nonsense on stilts that you hear in pulpits every week, all right? Just nonsense on stilts. For example, if you would ask me, you know, I, I read something the other day, and you read it before, something in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, the, the guy says, Jesus says, our Father, when you pray, say, our Father, who art in heaven. Now, let me tell you something. Here's why I'm a heretic according to, to, to many. I, listen, if you read Greek mythology, there's a lot of fathers, a lot of those gods were fathers, but they're not as bad as the God who said, our father, which are in heaven, called my father wouldn't do some of the things that the God that was introduced to me in the Bible allows to happen. Number one, he wouldn't let me be so confused about who he is. He wouldn't give me a book that everybody misunderstands. My my father, I don't pretend that he is a very present help in a time of trouble if he's not helping me. See, I don't, I don't, I don't, listen, I don't want to pretend and I speak up about it. A guy in Tacoma, Washington, he's a PhD from Princeton. I was in a class, and this is back in the 90s, believe this. And I was uh, just firm in my faith. And now, you know how we we know everything, and we just, you know, we, we everybody's going to hell but us. And and he said to me, he, I was talking to him, and I think my eyes were being opened to uh, the universe and to, and to reality and, and, and to to what real truth is. And um, he said to me, when I started telling him some of the things that I'm, I'm talking to you all about or that I put in the book, he said, you're not going to be a Christian very long. Now, that was in the 90s. And I, that was way back then. And I, since then, have been, and I, when I look back over my life, <laughs> I, I have been coming out of this stuff gradually. And it says something that has taken me so long. So I started writing about it. I wrote a book called The Top Ten Dumbest Christian Beliefs. And uh, <laughs> well, there's only 10. Sure. No, <laughs> I tried to identify the top 10. But listen, 
I went to the the leaders and I my leaders and I started telling them about these things and uh, they were you're not going to make bishop if you keep saying that stuff and you notice I haven't made bishop I mean I say I'm, listen I, if 50 million people you know the adage 50 million people say a foolish thing it's still a foolish thing yep we assert things without evidence and get angry when people dismiss them without evidence. Mm-hmm. So God, as he was introduced, as it was introduced, or, or Derek might say, as she was introduced to us, does not exist. I can say that emphatically, that God, as introduced to me, does not exist. But some of the would-be smartest people, most knowledgeable people in Pentecost were my instructors. And then I found out it's easy to sound smart to somebody that's dumb. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Big, big words and ancient language. You throw yeah. that out there and, 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 and they're, they're all in. Yeah. And so, so I, I talk about it. Ironically, nobody will address me. There's an organization, a little organization that's an offshoot from the one I'm in. And, and they had on Facebook one of their bishops pulpit chairs. This chair looked like a throne. It was, um, it, this is on Facebook, a huge chair. I mean, it looked like one of those old Gothic Catholic thrones, <laughs> just like an iron throne. And I put a simple query out to all the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit filled, godly, fruit of the Spirit, tongue speaking, Ibaba people. Is this chair Okay, is it too much? Is it just right for your leader or what? That's all I said. I did not attack the chair. I simply, is the chair too much, just right for your leader? Is it, what about the chair? I mean, you talking about getting cussed out. I mean, man, those people attack me because I asked a question about the chair. Now, if you attack me about your bishop's chair, You must not be settled on the chair. You must have knew it was dumb in the beginning. And so somebody sent me an email that said, that showed several emails where they were all talking about me, people in the organization, people in my organization talking about me. Somebody need to address this guy. Somebody need to say something to him. Somebody's got to stop him. Nobody. That this has been a year ago. Nobody to this date has said anything to me. But you know what? Five five years ago, I was invited to be um, a, a co consecrator in in a in a, a ceremony elevation of bishop, and 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 the the invitation that went out was the enthronement of a prince. Oh, wow! And I wow. Asked, and, and I asked someone. What? I said. I said, help me to understand what that means and what is the scriptural basis for it. And and they they go this long route around apostolic succession and all of this other stuff. Right. And and so I'm like, I said, you know, that doesn't resonate with me. I, I said, now, you know, the the the, the conferment of orders, the, the vestment of garments, all of that stuff. I said, I'm I'm good. I'm good. But then they they were talking about the uh, the order, um, you know, the order of procession, and at the end, once all once he was fully vested in all of his garb, they would elevate the chair and carry the chair on their shoulders, 
And, and, and so I said, okay, that's guys. I said, that's there. That's just not, not, not right. And so I got uninvited. I got invited and I, and I got, I got the left foot of fellowship from that organization, which that wasn't the first time, but, (laughs) um, but yeah. Tell us, give us a really quick synopsis of what, what is your view of God now? Like we, we, you know, I have a good sense of what God is and the, the challenges. I love it that you've stayed within your tradition and you're, you're offering challenges and sort of a truthfulness within there. So what, what's that relationship or, or not relationship or uh, your concept maybe of God now? I'll tell you this. First of all, I don't believe uh, my father, for example, what my father's a gangster and my father's dead. He died in a shootout. He killed a whole bunch of folks and they killed him. But listen, one thing about my father, he protected me. He gave me confidence. He spoke to me. And when he spoke, <clears throat> I was at my house. I, anytime we were, I was a child, when my father came home, you heard his car. You heard him come in the house and you knew he was home. And when he spoke to you or called your name, you knew he was talking to you. The God that I have to wonder if he's talking to me ain't no God at all. My father is was very clear. I don't have to figure out what he is saying to me. So when God speaks to me now, um, what God is, I'm not going to pretend to know. I think now God will reveal himself, and he has through nature. He has revealed himself through sense impressions, if I want to call it God. But I don't think God, I think we reached up and got God. I don't think he came to us to bother us. I think we have oversold the product. We said he's a very present help. And he has not been that. If he was that to somebody in the scripture, then we need to leave that alone. We got a favorite phrase. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek his faith. Listen, that was every scripture in the Bible was written to a certain people at a certain place at a certain time. If you believe in the Bible, then you got to believe or know that every passage was written to somebody and not necessarily you. Now, there are some things in there that you could say, well, they're universal truths. They could be, but I don't, when I think of God, I think that if he wants to talk to me, he will. And I won't have to wonder if it's him. And I don't have any testimonies right now to tell you, oh, declaratively, God spoke to me. I, I don't have any. I, I just don't have any. I just, God will speak to me through events or happenings or through the universe he created, but I don't know that God is simply there and he's sitting in the chair next to me over here and he's, you know, wondering why my, you know, fingernail got broken and and he's just not doing that because there's better things for him to do. Instead of running around, um, you know, the God that people, the God that people talk about now reminds me of a, of a whole lot of cops in the hood arresting a lot of dudes for for selling little pieces of marijuana when they could be going getting the cartel dealing with some bigger issues. God dealing with too many petty things. I don't know. Show me God and I'll believe. I show me. Tell me. Tell me. God has spoken to me through His creation. When my father was not home, I saw His. His, his house, I saw the lamp he bought, I saw the shoes he wore, I saw his suit uh, when he wasn't even talking to me. So I'm, I'm looking for, and when God speaks, believe me, I'll answer, because just like with my father, 
I won't be able to not answer. I think when it comes to truth, <clears throat> listen, truth, uh, I told you earlier, Pilate said, what is truth? Um, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And notice he said the truth. That's subjective. That's got a definite article, the truth. I'm not talking about the truth. I'm talking about pure truth. It's objective. It's absolute. It's incontrovertible fact that will correspond with verifiable reality. So don't tell me uh, a UFO just flew over a a country, a field in Tennessee. No, it never shows up where people can see it. Likewise, don't tell me something God did if your God is not smart enough, big or bad enough to convince me. I don't want to have to guess. So when you ask me, what is God? Listen, I could tell you a lot of subjective things, but I think God is uh, at best uh, mysterious if he's there. And I don't know why my father would hide in a closet, though, and say, I'm here, but you can't see me. And if you come to the closet, he disappears. So I run over behind, look under the bed. He was there, but he left. Now, all of you all on the podcast can tell me whatever you want. Well, God did this, and I know it because of this, and I know it because of this. Listen, let me tell you what I know. I know it's raining here in Tennessee. I know that. I know right in the spot that I'm in, I know it's raining. I don't know what it's doing where you are. I'm not going to try to convince you that it's raining over here. You deal with your side of the world. If it's not raining, enjoy that. I'm going to enjoy this rain. I know what I know. The, the only pure truth is objective. It's not subjective. And I think the truth welcomes falsifying investigators. I don't think God is angry with the people that made this podcast at all. In fact, I think you all, I think God probably loves you all. If God, if God <laughs> is, I think he probably loves you all because you got questions. Yeah. You got questions. And I think God, listen, if God is scared of this podcast, that's a puny God. He's a punk. What are you scared right. of you guys for? If it can't be questioned, it isn't worth believing. Thank that's you. exactly right. That's if, right. If the, if, the, if the truth is told in a forest and nobody's around to hear it, is this still the truth? Come on. Yes. Yeah, thank you. There are eggs frying in a forest in California. Innocent bird eggs, the birds are being fried, the, the fire's killing them. Nobody's there to see it, but you know that's true because we know fire burns and we know there's eggs in the forest. So I can figure that there's some eggs there, but I can't tell you at this moment if any is really burning. But I do know that fire is hot and eggs are fragile. So now you want to know where God is? Find him for yourself because. I don't want a bunch of crazy testimonies and test the line and all of that. Pray, pray, pray. Ask him. I believe that what we call prayer is ridiculously misunderstood mm. and just wrong. Yes. Mm. Because if I pray and nothing happens, then you got to weigh in because you're a bishop and tell me, well, you, it was because you didn't have faith. Well, God answered, but he just didn't say, he said, yes, no, or maybe. Oh, well, you know, it's just come on, man. When I ask my father, See, our father who art in heaven, when I ask him something, I get the the run around. (laughs) But my father, listen, yeah, but when I ask Ralph Magnesa a question, I got an answer, a big, booming answer. I don't cuss, but one thing I've noticed, most preachers seem like they're just going to say abracadabra. 
looks like if you can't get the congregation, sit them there. And if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, you baffle them with bullshit. (laughs) That's one of my favorites, man. Seems like they're doing. Oh, this is good. Oh, Lamont, listen, this has been so good. Uh, I got to ask you, uh, how can people get in touch with you, connect with you? uh, And are you doing anything? Are you working on a a new book or anything like that that people can, uh, you want people to know about? Well, just two things. I am am doing a a new version of the top 10 dumbest uh, Christian beliefs, but I'm trying to make my title work and say religious and Christian because it's not just Christians. Trust me with the dumbness. Yeah. Um, and I'm also doing the 12 commandments of Bible study. So I'm working on those. And uh, again, uh, um, <clears throat> only the people on the podcast know, but I'm injecting what the objective truth, but I'm doing it Socratically. Uh, you know, you know, uh, Socrates taught Plato and he taught Plato by asking him questions. So this is a Socratic teaching. I just have questions, but I'm going to explain these things. Um, and, and, and right now, uh, my website, uh, you know what? Just catch me on Facebook. Hit me on Facebook. Message me because I'm changing my website every day as I grow up and out of things. I, I pray to, uh, you know, the dead stars, God, whoever listening. I pray that I don't move to I don't want to leave this thing. I want to stay in this. I want to keep addressing these issues because if everybody just be quiet about it, how how are you going to get these people? We got a bunch of idiots out here. These <laughs> people, listen, listen. We need George Carlin so bad. Yeah, you know, we need Carlin so bad to talk about this stuff, man. It's it's just really ridiculous. So, listen, hit, catch me on Facebook. Hit me right there because I, I don't want to my, – my website's probably good. I, I've changed. Every time I encounter people like you all, every time I encounter people like my ilk, I evolve. Mm. You know, I evolve. I want to be um, more of a heretic. But you know what? I don't want to be – I don't have an axe to grind. I'm not mad at anybody. I ain't scared of none of y'all. So I just want to – I don't want to fit in. I have absolutely no desire to fit in. And, and uh, I want truth, and I'm really not in a big search for it. I'm I'm pretty much settled because truth is what it is. You know, and, and, and I don't have to go searching for God. God will come. Listen, he's in, he's, if he's omniscient and he's omnipresent and he's omnibenevolent and he got all these omnis on his, in his hat, ain't no sense in me trying to go search for him and find him. He's the smart one. I'm like a toddler crawling <laughs> around. He, he's the smart. Find me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, really, really. God knows exactly where all of us are. Find me, God, and straighten me out. Oh, that's and, good. Yeah. Good stuff. Facebook. Oh, well, thank you so much. We'll send people we'll, your way for sure. We certainly will. This has been a, really a blast. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to be here, and and it's been uh, both refreshing and you know it's therapeutic for me. This is good. You all are doing a good thing. This is ministry, man. Yep. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm serious, man. It I is. love you so much. I'm I'm just glad that you were able to be here. You are one of my heroes. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, y'all, keep it up. Keep on keeping on. Hey, uh, that was awesome. Lamont, uh, you're you're the man. That was really, really cool. Very entertaining. Very interesting. Um, 
I, I sometimes wasn't sure exactly where it was going to go next, but that's part of what made it so awesome. Kind of like this, uh, kind of like this entire show. Every yeah. episode. Yeah. yeah. Every episode. Yeah. We know, we know now, Doc, why they call you the Mac Daddy. <laughs> it was good to have you. Well, let, let, as good as I was, let's move on. Let's get to the meat of this episode. And we are. <laughs> meat. Meat. <laughs> Lamb, uh, yeah. lamb and goat. Lamb and, lamb and goat. I did not mean that pun. Jesus. Jesus. Just, I just Jesus. mentioned sheep and goats, and you guys are talking about barbecue and shit like that. Um, is that what this is about? It's about barbecuing sheep and goats. And uh, yeah, let's 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 get it. Let's get into it. We're talking about barbecue today. It depends on it depends on your tradition. Depends on how you interpret it. it um, this is the parable I picked: the sheep and the goats. It is the go-to passage for people who argue for hell. Um, I don't think we need to read the entire Matthew 25, 31 through 46. We all kind of get the gist. Um, there are those who go to eternal life, and there are those who depart and go to eternal, eternal punishment. They're going to hell. The sheep are the good ones. The goats are the bad ones. Here's what I always remind Christians. Both categories are surprised. So if anyone goes to hell, it's the Christians. That's all. That's what I start by saying. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing too about it is that I was talking to my um, my mom about this today. We uh, we were going to get our shots and um, we're driving in the car and we mentioned this parable and she goes and she knows you know that that I don't believe in eternal torment and she's like well what do you do about that right and I was like well the point is first of all it's a parable it is a parable it's not it's not some kind of like real real sort of thing that Jesus is wanting to say. It's a it's a story that's meant to teach us something, right? And so the the real I hate to say the meat. The real but the meat <laughs> I'm getting hungry here. Um meat. The, the meat of the uh of the parable, right, is Jesus is saying, yes, there's going to be a judgment, but the criteria for that judgment isn't what you think it is. And I think that to me is the value. That's what I like about the parable is that it's saying Hey, it's not those that are those that are sort of like the the righteous ones, the sheep. Um, they're not the ones with the best theology, the right doctrine, you know, whatever. It's it's they're not the most religious. It's not it's not anything about their religiosity, their knowledge, their information about theology. It really is more about do they love? Do are they concern for their fellow human beings? Right. And again, like Matt said, it's. Almost, it's, it's an accident. They're not, in other words, they're not doing good things and kind things for their fellow man, hoping that they're going to make it to heaven. They're, that's not, that's not even in their mind at all, right? They're, they're just doing it because they care about people. And so to me, that's kind of the shocking or interesting thing about the parable is that it's, I think it's trying to say, Jesus is trying to, the point, I would, one of the main points I think he's trying to make is that, okay, at the judgment, you know, it's not going to go down the way you expect it to. And maybe you need to reconsider the way you care about other people, right? To me, it's just another way of Jesus saying, like, when he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, right? We assume, oh, what God wants is sacrifice, and I've got to do something, and I've got to give something, and I've got to tithe something, and all that. I've got to give something up for God, and this is what makes me pious and holy. Whereas Jesus is saying, no, it's what what matters most is mercy, which is compassion and consideration for your fellow human beings around you who are suffering, so to me, I, I think it's, I just take more of that from it than the last part about, oh, eternal torment and eternal you know, reward. And they make a big deal about Aeonios and that has to mean endless and forever and all that. I, I think it's just trying to force a parable to say it, to do more work than it's intended to do. 
And I have a different take on it. It, it. it says here, it says, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. The whole parable has nothing to do with eternal reward or eternal punishment. It has everything to do with how we treat other people. That's the whole thing. And, 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 if, you, and if you think about Jesus's teaching, it had everything to do with how we view ourselves and how we view ourselves relative to others. And that's the that's the whole thing. But I, I, on a, on a lighter note, if if Jesus would go and get the one sheep, would he wouldn't he go and get the last goat too? Mm-hmm. I'm just asking, <laughs> asking for a friend. Now, I, so I'll admit, um, I struggle with this parable. I, so I agree. I, I actually agree with I think everything that everyone has said. Um, I think this is about. Uh, how we how we treat human beings, and it's it's not based on belief. It's really uh, you know who who go who goes where is not based on uh, what you believe, what you profess, on any kind of um, Jesus prayer, anything like that. It's based on what you do, and I think that's really important. And it takes us straight back to me to the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like this is the fulfillment of uh, of living into that Sermon on the Mount in a um, in, in a high vibration way. So I'll, I'll put my metaphysical spin on it. But this is uh, the, there is also a lot about the afterlife here, and that's not unusual in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, the, the Gospel of Matthew foc- focuses a lot on eschatology. It focuses a lot on sort of insider outsider. But I think we're mistaken to take that at face value because the point of a parable is to shock us. Right. The point of the parable is to lead us to a conclusion we didn't see coming and to, to sort of shock us out of our complacency. And so if we can see the, or at least me, um, if I can see Jesus kind of warning here, um, or, or at least Matthew's warning through the voice of Jesus, because uh, this is sort of a unique parable. Um, if I can see that warning as kind of shaking me up out of my... Um, my own complacency out of seeing myself as a as a do-gooder, but not actually kind of making myself uncomfortable in order to meet people where they are, uh, and and in order to um, really do this, what I you know call the the serious Jesus work of hunger, uh, give, making people not hungry, making people not thirsty, um, sheltering the unsheltered, um, then. And if I can do that by being shocked into this kind of eternal torment. Um, that makes me wake up and really take this seriously. So, I, you know, I don't see it as a literal eternal torment, but I'm like, oh my gosh, um, this is serious. This is serious business. This is serious Jesus work. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you make that distinction on a literal eternal torment because honestly, like the way I respond to a shocking statement like this, if I ha- if it's a literal eternal torment is I'm hopeless at that point. And then I'm paralyzed by fear and I'm not going to do any good work. Like, fuck all that noise. I'm going to become like, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing any of this because when I did believe in eternal torment, I didn't do I mean, I might've done some nice things, but I wasn't about Jesus. I wasn't about God. I wasn't about none of that because I mean, like, pun, like in this, in this, if in this eternal punishment, if we understand it, not like Plato describes this word where there's a punishment or a chastisement, which is what the word I think means more accurately for the ba- for the benefit of the one being chastised. If it's simply for the sake of punishment, I, I mean, I don't know. Then, then I think Matthew is just wrong. 
or Jesus, if Jesus really said it and he really meant you're going to go away literally for everlasting time for punishment for everlasting time. Like, no, there's no way. There's no fucking way. Well, in, um, in doing just a tiny bit of research, I had a, so I had my own shocking moment today. I could not find my flippin' academic library card. It is lost like the lost son and the lost sheep and the lost coin. <laughs> I cannot find, I could not find it. So it was a sad little moment, but I managed to scrape up, I uh, managed just to scrape up kind of like one article um, about this. And really, I think that this is, um, I agree with the scholarship that says this parable is actually written only to Jesus followers. Like, it's not like anyone else in the ancient world is reading this parable or hearing this parable and being like, oh, gosh, that's right. Yeah, now I'm going to convert. It's an insider yeah. parable. Yeah. It's a parable yeah. written yeah. for like insiders, right? At the, right. you know, a couple, a couple of decades after after the Jesus movement, um, when there was some fracturing taking, taking place, too. And so I think it's also it might also be meant to sort of shock those early Christians like 40 or 50 years after my math right yeah 50 or 60 years after the death of jesus to be like y'all we got to get this together Mm -hmm. like what are what are we about like what is the jesus what is the jesus movement about and i think matthew's answer like it's about this it's about actually living the sermon on the mount Mm. yeah 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 no i think that makes sense because that it seems that what is being pointed back to here especially the part about you know when I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, when I was a stranger, you invited me in, when I was naked, you clothed me, when I was in prison, you visited me, etc. I mean, yeah, anyone who does, why would anyone do that? Well, if they were following Jesus, if they were following the Sermon on the Mount, they would be doing those things. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's funny how evangelicals will focus on the whole separating the sheep and the goats, right? And the, and the punishment aspect of it, while conveniently overlooking the helping others. Yeah, <laughs> everything that he says will keep you from that eternal punishment. Yeah, what, we can't do that. Sounds like liberal stuff. That's social justice stuff. That We don't want that in the church. That's, yeah. wait, that's liberal. And if, and if this was it truly indeed a shocking statement to insider Christians, and I, and I think you're right, Katie, that's, that's what it yeah. is. Yeah, who else is going to read this? Yeah. Isn't yeah. it? so juicy and ironic that we then don't make it shocking about we're the one we're the inside christian we're the christians we're the good people we're the sheep in in the parable all the time right of course, Those we're the people sheep. out there are the goats and it's like yeah we're supposed to see it the other way around to get us to actually get off our ass and do something to go to prison and talk to people and to go feed the hungry and go help the homeless and we're just seeing it as like well no this is just proof that we're in and they're out End of story. Bible's clear, brother. Yeah, we flipped it around. Uh, oddly enough, we have flipped it around now to uh, instead of shocking us the way most of Jesus' teachings do, uh, we found a way to twist it around to actually making us more comfortable and more assured of ourselves, mm, yeah. which is the absolute opposite of what I'm sure he intended. Well, and it's like directly after this parable begins the last like few days of Jesus' life. Mm-hmm. as well in the gospel of Matthew. So it's like placed, I think very strategically. Um, I mean, it's like Jesus, it's kind of one of Jesus, Jesus final big teachings um, before the the plot to betray him and before the anointing and before the last supper um, and all that. So it's kind of, it's, I almost envisioned that in Matthew's version of the Matthew's gospel, Matthew is like final chance, <laughs> final teaching. Let's like, let's do this y'all. Let's get this right. 
And uh, Matt, I'm, I'm so glad you spoke about sort of like the, you know, the trauma, the, the sort of fear-based stuff. And I, I don't know if the early Christians had that in the same way that we do or not. But yeah, I mean, it can be totally paralyzing. Yeah, I, I, think, I think they actually do because when, they, when, when he starts talking about Gehenna, right? And, and, and it's not hell like we're taught to think of hell, but Gehenna was the place where the followers of Molech went to sacrifice children. Right, so this was considered to be a really unholy place. The blood of children was all over this place. So, so, and and my understanding is that it was a trash dump, and and that 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 was the place where bodies of, of the poor were tossed, dead animals were tossed, dung and waste and all of that was tossed, and so you've got this constant composting going on you know the worms and 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 fires and all of this and and so nobody wanted to wind up there you know if if you were buried you wanted to be in a sepulcher right you wanted to be in in an ossuary right have a noble burial but instead you know you wind up in the shithole right And, and and if you're not if you're not doing all of this. And I think that's what, what, what Jesus was saying is that basically, if you're, you know, if you're not kind to people, then your life is basically nothing but garbage. Hmm. Yeah. I think though, um, I mean, my, my position, I agree with you on all that. I, my position though, my view is that um, the idea though of Gehenna as some sort of, sort of, you know, after you die, this is, some kind of spiritual metaphor for you suffering for eternity. Like that came later. Like that, that idea of eternal torment, um, what's not in the Old Testament, it doesn't, it doesn't come through any of the Old Testament prophets, major or minor. It actually creeps in through Egyptian pagan sources and gets really, uh, it's something that comes much later in the Christian story where it kind of gets read back into some of these passages. So I don't think, I mean, I agree with you. Like when Jesus says this and uses that metaphor, he definitely does mean this is a bad thing. You don't, you don't want this to happen to you. But what he doesn't mean, uh, I would say, uh, what he's not saying is like, this is some endless torment you're going to go through where, uh, right. But it's still not a good thing. (laughs) I agree with that. Yeah. It's a place you would like to avoid. Put it that way. So let's maybe let's talk about some of the other kind of damaging ways that this parable has been used um, when we're talking about sheep and goats. Um, so I think we've identified in, in, in contemporary conservative evangelicalism how you know who who pans out as a sheep or as a goat. Uh, but this has um, a lot of implications for like Jewish Christian relationships as well, and that's been used pretty damage in damaging ways. I'm curious if any of us kind of grew up hearing that, like the Jews are the goats, the Christians are the sheep, or other maybe other categories of people. I mean, I I only heard it as believers and non-believers. Yeah, me too. I've I've never heard it used, and not to say that it hasn't been. I'm I'm certain sure there's. I could find someone on YouTube right now uh, doing exactly that, but uh, I never grew up hearing it used in those ways. Yeah, I know. I don't have the details. I know it has been used as an anti-Jewish, you know, kind of anti-Jewish understanding. Like the Jews are always on the side of the goat, are always the goats. But Matthew, Matthew does that probably, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Matthew, of all the four gospel writers, seems to be the most guilty of the anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish um, language, right? That's, that's really ironic because Matthew is the most Jewish of, yeah, of all of agreed. the gospel writers. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think we're looking again at an internal conversation. 
this kind of Jewish or this kind of Jewish. Like right. these early Christians were Jewish. Right. Um, and so they, they didn't distinguish themselves uh, yet, you know, um, as, as Christians. Right. Um, that, that word does not appear in the Gospel of Matthew, certainly at all. They're, they're Jewish Jesus followers as opposed to other kind of Jewish. But yeah, I mean, like, but words from the Gospel of Matthew, oh my gosh, like the... They, they're used, yeah. They're, yeah they're, oh, that's what I meant to say. The, the words the words in Matthew, uh, Matthew's Gospel are the ones that are the most, have to give the most ammunition to anti-Semitic sort of Christian. Yeah, and, and Derek, I, I'm completely on board. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi in this, yeah. Yeah, in yep. this Gospel. But, but you're right though, Katie, that's um, it, people... Uh, like a lot of the Nazi supporters basically relied on Matthew's gospel, yeah. you know, to mount their attacks against the Jews. Yeah. So, so I've heard, I've heard it that way also. Yeah. And it's um, as at first in the canon, it gets um, a lot of primacy among Christians as well. Yeah. Um, so it was the, the being placed first kind of gives more yeah. fodder to that flame. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we get, we have verses in Matthew, like, you know, um, let his blood be on us and our children and those kinds of things. Right. It's like, yeah. boy, that seems like some editorializing going on there, but there's some deep conflicts in this early first Christian first century church, I think. Yeah. Well, but I mean, if, if, if you're going to have an internal conversation, that's going to be a different conversation than how we use it today. Right. So, so, you know, I mean, just like this parable, like if it's, I'm going to talk to y'all different than I'm going to talk to other people who aren't in my inner circle. And if I got to like, like, let's say Keith, you're doing something I got, we got to call, we got to call it out. It might be, it's going to look a lot different, but if you take that conversation you and I might had and, and take it outside of that context, right. it's, it's going to be way absurd. And so, and I think that's what's going on here. Like to just take it out of that internal conversation that they're having and to now use it as a proof text for one it's like we said before this is a parable so to proof text it is just stupid like this is not how parables work um but that's what we do with this we do it with lazarus and the rich man we do it with a bunch of other ones that's going to prove somehow prove our eschatological belief and this is the way it's going to go down it has to go down i think it's just we we've took we've taken an adventure and missing the point so i mean yeah i agree with you i think this this is probably something that would apply, what you just said, would apply probably in general to most of these parables that we're going to look at and even some we're not going to get around to. Again, it's just kind of like, Katie, your point is that Jesus is telling these parables as a way for sort of you and I to do some personal reflection, right? To go alone in your quiet space and sit down and think about, wow, what do you think Jesus means here? Whoa, what does this mean? Like, am I am I somebody that cares about the poor? Am I someone that cares for people that are suffering? And let me think about that. And it's meant to be more of something that creates the sort of self-reflection moment. It's But instead of that, right, what, what Christianity has done is taken these parables as ways to prove doctrines that, that we can then beat people over the head with and using fear and control, manipulate them. That's the, that's really the scandalous thing is how we miss, talk about missing the point, right? It's no longer now something meant to be like, oh, wow, let me think about this for myself personally. Um, it's more about how can I impose this on, on you and on other people, exactly. right? I'm going to use this as some kind of a whip against them. Well, yeah. And I don't, I mean, I, personal reflection. Yeah, I can see that. I, I actually see this as like community action oriented. Like group, like group, like group, let's do this because as groups, we can do much more than as individuals. So I think, you know, I also see this as directed to um, 
groups of people who are very deeply divided, like the first century, like today, you know, how can, um, how can we all join together and maybe do this thing? Like, let's stop arguing about hellfire. Instead, let's all feed the, let's, let's feed people. Right. Like, let's feed people. And, um, so that's where, you know, that's where I see that's kind of this like call to action. Yeah. There's, there's definitely, there's definitely the group call to action. And I, and I can, I can clearly see that, but there's also a lot of personal reflection too. And, and especially when, when you say, you know, when, when Jesus talks about, hey, you saw when you saw someone going through this and you ignored it, this is this is something this is almost this is a, a personal indictment. Yeah, I think both are true. I think it's something like, obviously, you know, we have to have that individual sort of you know, what it come to Jesus meeting, right? Take those moments of reflection, inner reflection and go, wow, let me take some stock here and see how, how am I doing? But once I've done that, then yes, I, I'm. That's when I'm ready to to look look overlook, you know, things I might disagree with somebody else about on doctrine or background or ethnicity or whatever the whatever the things might be that would separate us and say, yeah, but you know what? We all care about helping people, and so I don't, it doesn't matter that we disagree on this or that theological thing. Let's go and do the thing that's important. So I think I think I see both there. I, I don't think it's one or the other. I think absolutely there, this is a a community thing where, you know, in the parable, there are groups of people, right? But within those groups are still individuals who have one, either have a certain conviction or concern, you know, compassion for people, or they don't. And I, I think it's, you know, so I think that there's a lot going on there, but I think it it's meant to speak to us personally, but it's also then meant to mobilize us, right, in, in community. Yeah, and like di- parables are dynamic. Um, they're, I think they're living... I, I, Matt, was it you who said at the beginning that these are kind of like the cones? Yeah. Like the Zen, yeah, the Zen cones. And I, yeah. I think that's true. Like they're living, right? Like I can see myself sometimes as um, on, on all on all sorts of uh, parts of the barnyard um, in this parable. But so I think one little, one little interesting thing, um, as we were kind of talking about like different categories historically, who's been a sheep, who's been a goat. I think this is one of the passages that has been used to malign left-handed people. For real, mm. yeah. Like it's like it's been a thing throughout Christianity. Like people yep. with the, who have been left-handed have been forced to be right-handed because like Jesus is on the right hand um, oh of the Father, and like in this kind of parable that talks about like on the the goats are on the left side. Yeah. Um, and so those of you who are left-handed, I so I do know I do know people who um, were forced to be right-handed um, because of religious yeah. like stuff. Can I tell you? I'm, yeah. I, I'm left-handed, but. When I was in kindergarten, I used to, I was ambidextrous. So I would color and draw with both hands until, like I draw with one until I got tired and then I would go in with the other one. And my teacher literally would slap my hand and say, stop it. You need to pick one. She even went as far as to call my parents in to have a meeting oh my with gosh. my parents to say that, that she needed their help to help me if they saw me at home using both hands to stop me and to force me to pick one hand. And I'm so pissed off because like if that lady had left me alone, I could be ambidextrous. I could actually be someone who maybe write or draw with both hands, but now I can't be because she forced me to choose one. And I hate that, but it's probably goes back to this kind of stuff you're talking about, right? It wasn't there a big deal in the medieval church, right? Where there really was this thing where if you were left-handed, you were, you know, maybe you weren't weren't a Christian or something. There's a fun fact, right, that your right hand is called your dexter hand and your left hand is called your sinister hand. And this is where we get the term dexterity. And sinister. And sinister. (laughs) Oh, wow. 
Yeah. I, so Fun yeah, fact. people taking this too literally, man. Shit. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> oh my God. Who the hell? Well, uh, we all do. There should everyone listening should care right now, Peter. Um, this is fascinating. This is fascinating stuff, man. I, I mean, may, I mean, you know, if you have a different take, you know, we got groups and all that. Katie's going to tell you about that. But before we do that. We've got a website, heretichappyhour.com. On that website, in the top bar, we have a bookstore. It is a list of books from previous Heretics of the Week, which we know you love. Most of the books are 15% off uh, from prices that you're going to see elsewhere, and that supports the show. So head on over to heretichappyhour.com and check that out today. You know, it doesn't matter if you see yourself as a sheep, as a goat, we got a place for you on Facebook. Come join our heresy after hours. We got um, sheep, goats, and more in there, all asking really fun questions, uh, having great conversations. We got over 2,000 heretics of all flavors. So join us there. We also have a private exclusive Facebook group for those who uh, contribute to the podcast through our Patreon system. Oh, oh, did someone say Patreon? Oh, yes, Patreon. My gosh. Listen, you beautiful people who support us financially on Patreon, we love you. We are so grateful for your support. Um, and because of that, we are glad, we are happy to record bonus interviews and content for you guys. Um, different tiers are available. Go and check us out, patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. Yes, you'll get into this private group, but you'll also get access to PDFs of um, different books from uh, your hosts. And uh, you get to hear bonus stuff we record just for you guys. Uh, so go check it out. And we love you. We appreciate you so very, very much. And I want to tell you that you, yes, you need to go to iTunes and give the Heretic Happy Hour a five star rating. Oh, yeah. Because then you, yes, you. I'm talking to you. We'll be one of God's sheep <laughs> and not a goat. <laughs> that you'll be in and not cast out. <laughs> and you'll give a sweet savor <laughs> unto the Lord. <laughs> Amen. You know, all that talking about roasting goats and sheep and stuff, man, I'm getting hungry. Derek, you just became a new ringtone for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I used to be able to tune up and hoop back in the day. That was good, man. You were you were getting the, the fire going there. Yeah, my my Pente, my Pentecostal roots. Did you did you seriously did you ever preach like that? Yeah, man. That was my clothes. <laughs>